Hi, I'm Carrie. And I'm Zach. Together, we're Bigger Life Adventures. We're a husband and wife team. We travel, we're entrepreneurs, and we're trying to live life mindfully, unconventionally, and in a way that makes a difference. We're doing it all sober, and we believe the revolution this world needs is inside each and every one of us. Yeah. All right. So, it's been a while since we put out a podcast, but thanks for your patience. We just really wanted to get this one right, and we actually recorded it before, but the audio was messed up, so we're re-recording now. It's actually the third try. We didn't hit record the first time, the second time was all buzzy. and Third time's a charm. Third time, we'll see. So... Tonight, we are talking about Zach's life story. My life. This is my life. It's your life. It's now or never. You love Bon Jovi, don't you? Oh, I hate Bon Jovi. (laughs) Okay. That's okay. You can sing it if you want to. Yep. You love it when I sing Bon Jovi. Okay. So we're talking about Zach's story because I feel like I have been really out there and really vocal about my story of my recovery, especially within the last year. I wrote a big blog post and blasted it all over the internet when I got two years sober, and a lot of people found out about my story when I did that, and since then I've just been talking about it a lot and really putting it out there and owning it and use trying to use it to help people. But not a lot of our followers or or even like our friends and family I think know your story. That's cuz I am a little more private than you maybe. Right. <clears throat> I don't get on I don't post a lot of Facebook statuses or keep people informed of what I'm doing or what I'm up to, which is a flaw and also just my personality, so. It's not necessarily a flaw and I mean I think that the story you're going to tell is hard to share. Like, I know people who are active on Facebook who still don't share statuses about their recovery journey or stuff like that because it just takes, you know, a certain willingness to be able to be that transparent about it. Right. So today's the day. It's the day. (laughs) We're getting it out there. How do you feel about that? Um, I mean, I'm still, like, you know, both excited and, like, I I don't know how I feel. I mean, I just indifferent. Okay, great. You're indifferent. Okay, that'll work. So let's start. <laughs> um, okay, so tell us a little bit about how you grew up, where you grew up and what you know your childhood was like oh i'm just a small town boy living living in in a lonely lonely world world. (laughs) really though and then teenage years and now okay let's go a little bit more into detail oh more detail okay yes um i grew up in ohio a small town it was uh, pretty much surrounded by cornfields, and then after the cornfields, there's some uh, really dumpy cities not too far away. And uh, yeah, I grew up living the like 
living the life, like playing in the dirt and um, running around pretending I was a Star Wars character and you nerd. Yeah, and playing with fire, you know, normal kid stuff. Normal country kid stuff. Yeah, I mean, we, I didn't live in the country. I lived in town, so I was kid, considered the town kid. But, I mean, compared to, like, real city people, I'm definitely a country kid. Yeah, I don't know. You've told me lots of stories about, like, being out in cornfields, like... That never happened. <laughs> I never did that when I was a kid in the suburbs. So... You were from a pretty small town. Yeah, it was a small town, not a lot happening. Most of the people that I grew up with are still there, which is fine. It just wasn't, like, for me. Right. So, like, what did you do for school? What was your family like? Tell us about, you know, your upbringing more. Yeah, so I was homeschooled, actually, which meant... um I had some, some like a little bit of studying every day, and I always did reading stuff out of a book or and some math or some grammar stuff, and then I had to always be reading something, and then I'd spend a lot of time outdoors. Like maybe I had was working on science projects, or it was pretty um, open ended, and I did a lot of teaching of myself. Which is like still how I am today. Like I don't like to learn things from other people. So even if I somebody says this is the way to do it, I'm like I'm gonna do it every single other way <laughs> to prove that you're wrong. And usually I just end up proving that they're right. But I, I do know how to do it and every way not to do it. <laughs> That's great. That's kind of based on my upbringing. So why were you homeschooled? Mm, uh, that's a good question. Um, I'm glad I was because uh, the schools in my town were not very good. Um, we had some of like the worst, uh, worst schools in all of Ohio, mm. based on testing scores. And like once I did end up going to school in high school, I was far ahead of the average fellow there. So was it just because the schools were bad that your parents homeschooled you? Or were there other reasons also? I mean, I'm sure there were other reasons. Like, that's... I mean, I just thought that they could do a better job or that, like, not having as strict of an environment might be a better job or, like, maybe worried about the things that they were teaching. Hmm. It was, like, my mother especially is very religious. And... That probably had a lot to do with it, although I don't know. And she was also a school teacher, like, before I was born. I mean, most of the homeschool kids that I knew when I was growing up were homeschooled for religious reasons, so that's why I think people will wonder about that, because the, yeah. a lot of homeschooled people are homeschooled because they're, like, extremely Christian or something. Yeah, I and mean, I had, a, there was a couple times we hung out with people like that, but, like, we didn't get along so you weren't, like, extremely Christian. Yeah, we went to church. I went to church, like, every weekend. And, yeah, it was just a normal part of life. Like, our, I lived, like, pretty much everybody went to church, some type of church. Did you believe in it? Yeah, some parts and some parts, no. 
I mean, it's it's like I don't know if I believe I believe that there are or it has the Bible has a lot of good things to teach you. I don't not going to like take the Bible as like this is the word of God and the, the entire thing. And like I mean I have a lot of problems with the church also. Yeah. But. I mean we had kind of similar upbringings like I wasn't homeschooled but I was also going to church all the time but I think one of the main differences in our upbringings is that I really like believed it all and accepted it all for a long time like until I got to college and I think you like had the intelligence to start questioning it from a young age even if you like kept that to yourself I mean I did keep it to myself but I it was always like I could see the flaws in it from a very young age and just that that I could tell that people were following certain parts of it and not the other parts. Like, you know, Jesus said to sell all your stuff and give the money to the poor. And I didn't see anybody doing that. Yeah, you were very perceptive. And a lot of other things that Jesus said, like, I believe in what Jesus taught. And, like, I try to follow those principles. And Jesus the things that Jesus said and the things that are in, like, Deuteronomy mm -hmm. are very conflicting. Right. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Okay, so you were homeschooled for a long time, and then you went to high school. How did that go? Um, I mean, it was good. It was like, uh, I, I wanted to play sports, and I had played sports all growing up. But then, like, once high school started, that's when all the sports were run through the schooling system. What sports did you play? Um, I played hockey and baseball, but our, my school didn't have a hockey team, so I just uh, was only playing baseball at that point. Cool. They tried to get me to play football. but How? You're, like, 5'8". Well, because I was <laughs> taking the... Uh, the um, the science teacher, I liked the science classes, and the science teacher was the football coach, and he was, he was the worst teacher. <laughs> he was always trying to get everybody to play football, because his football team was one of the worst football teams in the state. <laughs> and I, The entire time I went to high school, we won two football games. Well, I don't know if you would have helped them much with your he was very football-esque stature. <laughs> any straws he could go for. Like, maybe I had some hidden talents that I even I didn't know about and that would save his career. Well. when you r run the worst football team in all of the state, like, your job doesn't last very long. <laughs> and maybe it was the worst team when you got there, but it doesn't mean that uh, if you can't fix it, then... It's all your See fault, you later. It's all your fault because he didn't sign up. No, I was too smart for that also. I could see his craftiness behind it. I was like, I'm not going to play football. Okay, so you went to high school and you played baseball. Yep, I was a pitcher. Cool. And, yeah, I didn't get along with the baseball coach. We Why hated not? each other. <laughs> he was a terrible baseball coach and... I was really cocky. Oh, I see. That mm. might have had something to do with it. Yeah. I would always 
talk about him like all the time, like how terrible he was, because we didn't win many games either. <laughs> it's, it's it's more of a Swanton problem, like the town I grew up in, and uh, but yeah, the base we didn't win a whole lot of baseball games. Only ones we did were against the really terrible teams, and then it didn't even feel like you were winning because they were just so bad. As long as you had fun. It was fun sometimes. <laughs> but how was it going from being homeschooled to being in high school? Um, it, I, pretty much every class I went to, there would be somebody in the class that I was already friends with because like, I had to play a lot of sports growing up, and there's not a lot of people in the town, so... You kind of know, you know, you know some of the people. I'd at least have one person in every class until I got more comfortable and realized it didn't really matter. People don't care. So, so people, it, it wasn't awkward or... Oh, I was super awkward. I just didn't need to be awkward. It's just that I was awkward. I was very quiet. Well, I feel like everyone's and, pretty awkward at age 14 unless you're, like, one of the cool, like popular kids and probably going to school for high school for the first time made it more awkward well it was like i showed up to high school and i the only thing you know about high school is like all these movies you watched that like you know there's gonna be people that are mean to you and bullies and like all these different clicks. social clicks and i go in there and i don't see any of this happening like I, everyone was pretty nice to me and I just tried to like not know that not be a know it all mostly. That for a must while. have been hard for you. No, I just didn't talk much. <laughs> just like I would get my homework done like in class and then like I would never remember doing homework at home. But I just I didn't want to be like the, the super smart know it all kid. I just wanted to be like one of the people. Yeah, you just and, wanted to fit in. That's normal. Yeah, I, people would have definitely looked at me as a weirdo if I kept answering all the questions. Eventually, some of the teachers found out, and then they would, like, make me answer questions and stuff. They'd be like, Zach, you got to know the answer. And I would pretend like I didn't. <laughs> so you really wanted to, like, not stand out. I just don't want to be an overachiever or didn't. Right. So how I mean, did, oh, go ahead. No, I just, if I would have went to a school like yours, like I, I should have been like an, at a normal average level. Yeah. As compared to like people in a normal school district. Like you had lots of opportunities to have all these really nice classes. And yeah. like eventually I got into some of the harder classes. Like, Well, you went to the college early, right? Yeah. Basically. Yeah, I mean, my high school was big and suburban, and I had, like, AP classes and honor society and all that sort of stuff, so I mean, I was challenged. I had a couple classes like that, but it was, like, I would, it was just a question of whether I would get the A plus or the A, or, like, I never was, like, if I missed what, two answers, I would be upset about it, and... So you started going to college classes during high school, right? Yeah, so I could, I just wanted, I could get free college credits at the university, so I would drive there, I'd take a, like a class in the morning at the high school, and then I'd go to the university and take a couple classes, and I had to like, 
got to play hockey there and stuff. And so that was nice. And it was free classes that were like, went toward my future college education. So that was nice. And I got, I could be in the high school and like interact with my friends and then like go and actually learn something. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> Probably kept you sane. Yeah. So how did like drinking enter your life? Um, I don't know. I mean, just hanging out with people in high school, like you could, I knew it was around always, but I was never like interested in the party scene. I was like maybe a little scared of it. And eventually like you'd have, my friends were all pretty like good kids. And, um, I don't really remember where, who I started drinking with first. I don't know. It was probably with myself. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you should remember that. Like, that's kind of a big deal. Uh, The first sip of beer I ever had was from my mom. She, uh. We were, I was like really young and I remember we were banging our forks at the dinner table. Like, what do we want for, she's like, what do you guys want to drink? And we had just been watching like a football game or something and we're like, we want beer. (laughs) You and your brother? Yeah. We were, and then we started banging our forks, beer, beer, raise beer. And then, then she, she brought us a beer. I didn't, I thought it was like apple juice or something. And I take a big sip and I'm like spit it out on the table. Like this is the most disgusting thing I've ever had in my life. That was probably her plan. It was really, it worked really well (laughs) for a long time. Until high school. I don't know. I think I remember like trying to drink beers because like they were in the fridge and I wanted to see what happened but I couldn't like get it down because it was so nasty (laughs) but yeah I mean like high school I didn't really drink that much I mean I maybe drank like four or five times and it was never like more than like two drinks or something like just at parties and stuff I think I only went to a party maybe twice Mm -hmm. it was weird (laughs) I remember this guy was like stapling his arm what (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh my gosh he was like I, he had this vodka in the freezer he was like he did a shot of vodka then he was like trying to hit staples into his arm and wow he was a real class act that's intelligent <laughs> i didn't really like those people yeah that makes my high school friends seem pretty tame it wasn't my friend <laughs> <laughs> but you had friends who like yeah you eventually started drinking with right yeah, but mostly, like, after I went to college and came back, mm-hmm. there weren't a lot of, like, drinking friends in that town. When the first time I got drunk, though, was, like, right before I left for college, which is, you know, your parents are super worried about you going off to college by yourself, and then what do you do? You decide to drink a whole bottle of liquor in the garage. <laughs> Why? Um, well, I obviously already had a problem. <laughs> <laughs> Was it, were you by yourself? 
No, we uh, we played a lot of poker eventually in high school, because my friends and uh, like there was a couple friends and we all we that was just how we hung out. We would play card games and I've had a little poker ring going at the high school too. So I wouldn't go to lunch. I'd bring my own lunch and then I'd try to convince people to play cards. And then I I made like five hundred dollars one semester. It was great. Okay. So you decided to take a bottle to the face during poker night, basically. Yeah, like me and I got found another friend that he had like a couple of drinks out of it, but I pretty much drank the whole thing. And then uh, all my friends were like, what is going on with this guy? He is struggling hard. So I remember them like, why do I mean, I don't remember. I was told about this later they i had like they took videos of me on their phones that they would show me for like five years afterwards <laughs> really classy i've never seen that wait i think i did see one of those once maybe from steve maybe he still has it oh man I'm sure i'll have to ask him to see it again next uh, time uh, maybe they don't have Hang it out. <laughs> but anyhow like my friends like carried me up to my room and threw me on my bed like snuck me into the house so I wouldn't get in trouble and then I just ended up vomiting all over the bed and woke everyone up and yeah that was about a week before I went off to college so then everyone was quite worried about me after that but they still let you go well there's not really a choice I already paid for stuff right no turning back so where'd you go for college so I went to college at Ohio State which was about Two and a half hour drive from my hometown. I was super pumped to go there because it was like the big city. I was going to the capital of Ohio, escaping my small town. I felt like I had everything there. It was like amazing, fresh new start. It was like, I just felt so free. Your parents must have been super worried about you. They are definitely small town people. Yeah, I was told to not go to uh, the main street that goes through campus. It's called High Street, and that's like where all the, everything is basically. And they were like, "You can't go there because it's so so much crime and stuff happening there." And there was like homeless people. I've barely seen a homeless person in my life. High Street is like literally the thoroughfare of the university. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when now, like there used to be like some like little bit of ghetto around high street and now it's like just all really nice yeah that's all gone i don't think there's any bums on high street anymore it's like a typical college a typical like big 10 college campus it has less shadiness than it used to though yeah it's just like you know i was there in the dark days oh you're you're legit yeah og (laughs) so how was college I mean, I was this, like, typical college kid in aerospace engineering. You know, trying to be some kind of rocket scientist or something. Why? Why'd you do that? I was told that that was what I should do, so I did. Oh, who told you that? Everybody. Because you're smart? Yeah, they were like, well, you should be in engineering. I didn't really understand what engineers did. Like, I guess we, like, design things or something that people build. But it was kind of open-ended. Nobody really explained it very well to me at all. I mean, now I think that 
I might have fun doing that. I'm still kind of an engineer, just like maybe I'm engineering like some kind of concoction to get myself in a higher elevated state of mind, if you know what I mean. You're always building things and doing projects and problem solving and trying to like create new ways of making things. So yeah, I can see why people thought you should be an engineer. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense just like uh, school, like high school was fine because I really didn't do much school because it was just too easy. But like once I was actually in school and people were telling me, oh, you have to do this. And it was like a lot of stress and like, I didn't have any good, like, you know, study habits or nobody taught me these things in my school. They were like, you want to go to college? Great. They're the third one in town. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, your parents bo- both went to college. Like, yeah. they, sh- they probably tried to help prepare you. Yeah, I don't know if it was the same back then as it is now. Right. That's true. I feel and like engineering school is especially, like, rigorous from what I've heard. It was intense. So there was, like, 50 kids in the class. And they're all, like, really nerdy guys. There was two girls, and neither of them were pretty. So I was, like, I didn't... I was, like, half of my point to going to college was, like, I get to... There's, you know, there was only, like, three pretty girls in my whole high school, so... <laughs> oh, what a tragedy. <laughs> <laughs> And, like, two of them probably got pregnant in sophomore year. <laughs> Let's talk some more shit about your hometown. <laughs> <laughs> I could do three podcasts about that. But Coming up next. So, Swan Tucky. So, yeah, I'm in, in engineering school with all the nerdy kids who I was trying to escape because I was trying to be, like, cool kid now. And, you know, it was hard. Like, uh, some of the tests we would take... You'd, if you got 25%, that was above average. Wow, that's terrible. So, no, this is, these are the people designing your airplanes. Remember that next time you're at 35,000 feet. Oh my gosh. That 25% is a win. That's terrifying. <laughs> that's horrible. No wonder you get stressed out on planes. Yeah, I used to. Then I just like... You used to. I must have forgotten. Okay, so... Your major was hard and nerdy. Yeah. So what like, about social life? Social life, yeah. We, uh, I had like some like nerdyish friends that were also kind of like fun, and we drank a lot. I don't. I mean, I don't. We weren't drinking like this is this, you know on the weekends, but like when you did drink, you drank a lot. It wasn't like let's have a beer with lunch. It was like, we're going to play drinking games until we wake up in the morning and don't remember how we got here. Well, that's college. Yeah. I mean, I not for everyone, but for me, I just still see that as like normal college behavior because my friends and I like did, pretty much did the same thing in college. And then I hung out at OSU a lot too because all my friends from high school went there. So whenever I was home in Ohio, I would party at OSU and play drinking games and all that. Why is that normal, though? Because, well, that could be a whole nother podcast, I feel like. Our whole culture around, like, alcohol and what we teach people and then what happens in college, there's a lot of issues there. Mm-hmm. 
So like, so like at the start of it took me a long time to learn how to like drink really hard. It's like I wasn't very good at drinking for a long time. Like, I I'm not a big guy, and like I don't have a lot of body fat. Like it goes to my head pretty quick. But you kept trying. Oh, I tried, and I tried, and I tried, and you know, I I eventually got pretty good at it. I had some uh, some good mentors. <laughs> Drinking mentors. <laughs> and yeah, I mean I had a lot of interesting nights. I mean it, it was just like your standard college stuff and like you, you when you're young you just like drink a lot, you wake up, you do your homework, you go to school, like I always went to all my classes. And for a while, you did not go to all your classes when I met you. No, I was already over it. <laughs> so that lasted for three years or so. And then I just like, I wanted to switch majors at some point because like I was really hating my major. Um, I thought about like doing architecture school or something. I had something else I wanted to do at one point, which I don't remember. And, like, just the idea of switching majors seemed like such a failure. And just, the, like, the idea of starting something else. And I don't know. I just, like, eventually I think I stopped caring about the whole school thing. I continued like socializing and stuff and going to classes and but I like wasn't taking classes that were in the major. I was just trying to do just kind of cruise along until like life told me what to do. What I really should have done is I I should have taken a year off and gone to like Europe or something. Yeah. But everybody said, like, do not stop going to school because you'll never go back. So it was, like, kind of rough because, you know, you're 18 years old and everybody convinces, or you're maybe 17 and something years old, and everybody convinces you, like, oh, let's take out all these loans for a high interest rate with no way to pay them back unless you finish college and you get a good job and then you're stuck in that job for the rest of your life. And I, I think I, part of me was seeing this future for myself and really rejecting it. Yeah. And my way of rejecting things for the future is just like sabotaging myself with alcohol. <laughs> and avoiding any decisions. Yeah, I was a huge procrastinator, so I procrastinate everything. Like, if because if you know if I needed to change my major by next semester, I would be up at four in the morning the night before, like, getting drunk trying to think of <laughs> how I was gonna make all this fit together. I was always trying to finagle everything into place and like just forcing things to work that were not obviously working. What about? other drugs at this point were you into anything besides alcohol i mean i didn't do too much besides alcohol for a while because it's like i 
I started smoking some weed at some point. But it was, I don't know, I didn't do it a lot for a long time. And I never, I wasn't doing like hard drugs in college, not really at all. I might have tried things like once, but I was like, we were not into that. Like my friends were all like pretty smart kids and they were like, you can, uh, drink and you'll smoke a little weed and then that's like anything else was like people gave you funny looks mm. yeah so I feel like it was around this phase when we met yeah you were definitely not into school you were very into drinking and smoking weed when we met and which I mean so was I so that was cool into you yeah I was excited yeah have something else to think about right <laughs> met carrie and i i think i i about had all my credit cards maxed out at this point because i was like trying to force everything to work and i was like too proud to ask for money from people and so i put a lot of things on my credit card and like spending too much money on extra extracurricular activities and and I, I think I spent my last $50 on Carrie, like, going out to have some wine and some dessert. Yep, it was a good first date. I had this valley parking job, and I was, like, just waiting for so long to find somebody to, like, take out to one of these fancy restaurants. <laughs> like, Yay, it was me. You know, I was like, yay, we can finally go. And then, uh, and yeah. And then, of course, we went to another bar afterwards, and you had to tell me that you didn't have any money left. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, what are we supposed to do? I, I had some other friends that were at another bar, and I was like, if we go over there, then I think they'll buy me a drink, and then I won't have to say anything about not having another dollar. I don't know if you said anything or not. No, I, you just I think I just paid for cause, it because yeah. I'm a feminist, and I'm not all about that guys pay for everything life. Well, you know, I pay for $50, you pay for 10 and that's pretty fair. Oh, yeah, and then throughout the rest of our relationships, <laughs> I'm pretty sure things have evened out by now. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, and then we fell in love, and we drank a lot. Yeah, like, so Carrie was going off to the Peace Corps for so it was four when I met her she had four months to go until she was leaving for Africa and we would be in Africa for two years I was like no I finally find somebody that I actually like and she's running away mm-hmm. and, and she was like a vegetarian which I thought was really weird also <laughs> but I don't think I'd ever met a vegetarian at that point like I was I was kind of like a little bit of a hippie but I was like not actually like that Versed on hippieism, weren't like you hadn't traveled, you know. Yeah. Like your your big move was like the big move to Columbus. Like you hadn't, you know, traveled, and I mean, at that point when I met you, I mean, I had like lived in New York and probably been to like eight different countries or something. So I was a little bit more cultured. Yeah, That's Carrie, why you liked me. Carrie was like. 
I went to college in New York City. I wasn't in even in New York City. I didn't say that. No, I don't know. I just made that up. <laughs> it was close enough. Yeah. But yeah, she had a little more culture than me. And I didn't, like, I didn't even know how you could survive if you didn't eat meat. I was like, I didn't even ask that question. I survived by drinking tons of alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> but... I mean, yeah, we had, like, a fun four months. Like, we'd see each other a lot. Probably, like, three or four times a week, mm-hmm. at least. And then when we were hanging out, we were probably drinking or having a good time. And then she left. It was hard, for was the record. hard to leave. I, I almost didn't leave. Well, it's good that you did. Yep. But, yeah, it was hard to let her go. And then I wasn't very happy to see her leave. And after she left, uh, my life kind of fell apart pretty hard because I, I still had no money. So, like, Carrie had found out I had no money, and she, like, would pay for a lot of things because she had, like, a serving job. And I had valley parking job. You just weren't working very much, and I was, like, working a lot and living at home, so I had a lot of money at that time. So right. you got lucky. Yeah, yeah, it was good. You were nice to me. And, yeah, but after she left, like, I had no money, and then I had some falling out with some roommates. And then, like, my credit cards were all maxed out, and then the credit card companies would call me, like, five times a day, and I wouldn't answer my phone. It started to be, like, when I would hear my I, I turned my phone to, like, vibrate because I couldn't handle ringing all the time because it was just my anxiety was going crazy. And then, like, I would just feel it vibrating all the time. It was, like, people calling me for money and I didn't have any money. And then I would just, like, go drink about it and not fix any of my problems. And it's just, like, that's, I think, when I really started to uh, distract myself from real life with... Uh, drinking yeah because i remember like when i came back from africa just like asking you what you had been doing and it was just kind of like nothing like you hadn't been doing much really right i was still like not sure what i was doing um at this about this time my parents had um bought a house in Arizona and they were like my dad was about to retire and they were trying to like move to Arizona so I got the opportunity to like maybe take a semester off and like go to Arizona and help them set up this house so I was like yes that sounds great like everybody's hounding me for money here Carrie's gone Africa and I wouldn't have survived there too much longer it was just like I didn't have any good friends I had good friends but not like good role model type of friends and I wasn't like doing well in school anymore just because I hated it and I couldn't find any like passion so I went to Arizona and took some time off and just like it was nice it was like a big empty house and just my mom so I would just I just read so many books. That's all I remember doing that for that time because it was winter and I chopped wood and read books and 
as it was what I needed. And that's where we live now, kind of. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. So, then what happened? Well, uh, Carrie came back early. Yay! Yay, that's it for a different story for a different time. Yeah, we should do an episode on that. That was pretty emotional. Mm-hmm. So then uh, once she decided to not go back to Africa, so come back early, she was like, well, let's, let's get together. It's so like when she was here for that four months, I was always like, be my girlfriend, be my girlfriend. That's, that's how I was been speaking. Was, was <laughs> Why yeah. is this be my girlfriend? And she's like, no, I'm going to Africa. <laughs> she thought she's going to find her husband in Africa. But then when she got back, she was like, let's do this thing. I knew when I left. I, I told you I loved you before I left. I, know. I knew that I wanted to be with you. But I just thought that I had to go to Africa because I couldn't mess up my life plan. No. Yeah. So at, when she came back, I, I went to Ohio to meet up with her. And then I was like, we need to go just drive to California. I, I again, had no money. I spent my uh, my new last $10 on calling Africa. <laughs> oh yeah thanks for doing that all those times i think i made my mom pay for it actually <laughs> like these phone cards <laughs> like you'd have a phone card and you'd like type the phone card number this is back in like stone age 2009 <laughs> yeah phone cards now i could call africa on skype for like free mm-hmm. anyhow uh we went to we just went on a, a road trip to california because neither of us had a life plan anymore. Yeah, we're like, that's what you do when you have no life plan. You, like, stuff the trunk with alcohol and you drive to California. It was awesome. It was fun. It was a good trip. We, uh, we saw so much stuff. And that was, like, both of our, like, first big road trip on our own. Because like, we'd gone on a lot of road trips with our families. But this was, like, yeah, we're going we're gonna to do couch surfing, we said. We're going to, like sleep in tents or like wherever in our car we don't care mm-hmm. and it was exciting it was great it's, vacations like vacations are nice with your family but like you're always staying at a hotel you're never like meeting local people like mm-hmm. trying kind of sheltered and we were just like we're gonna be out there we were just like doing that dirtbag thing well i just had so much more like adventure travel experience that I had gained from being in the Peace Corps and like traveling all over Tanzania by myself and yeah so I just kind of had like no fear at that point and I just wanted to travel more and I was like let's go (laughs) (laughs) so yeah I mean what do we say fast forward yeah we moved to California because we loved it I mean, we traveled around South and yeah, Latin America for 10 we months. We went on huge, that, huge, huge trips. Like, these are, like, traveling stories. I think we could do another episode Yeah, we'll on do an episode on travel. Travel, sure. or, or, like, what we, where we've traveled and, like, some of our highlights and some stories. Like, if you're our friends with us, we've probably told you these stories a million times, but... Basically, Zach got the traveling bug. Yeah. So, we went a lot of places. We went to Europe for, like, a couple months in Europe. We did, like eight months in south and central america we went to cuba we went to all over mexico mm-hmm. we did lots of road trips burning wow. man yeah a couple of burning mans like we went to halifax and all french canada and so many road trips basically any car we have we put tons of miles on 
Yeah, we drove, drove them to the ground. Yeah. But it was awesome. Mm-hmm. We ended up moving to San Diego, so we could fast forward to that. Yeah, so eventually we were in San Diego. San Diego was just, uh, yeah, like, we really loved it there. Oh, maybe we should mention you never went back to school. You pretended no. you were going to for a while. Just to make people happy. But, I mean, once you, like, started working, you just kind of forgot about school pretty much, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, I pretty much was always a huge people pleaser. So if somebody said, like, oh, you have to go to school, I'd be like, yeah, of course I'm going to go back to school. Mm-hmm. When really, I just mean... If I would have just, like, at 18 gotten a job and, like, made money, I would have been, like, a millionaire by now. <laughs> probably a lot less problems. Well, who knows? No, I can't. I can't really say that for sure. Gratitude. Have... Gratitude for the path. Yeah, I mean, it's the only path that yeah. happened and the only path that could have happened. So everything that happened happened for a reason. So right. I am thankful to be where I am today. Mm-hmm. I learned... Like, more at college, I learned just about life. Mm-hmm. Like, street smarts. That's what it's for, really. Yeah. Especially when you live on your own. I feel yeah. like people who continue living at home through college don't get that experience. Yeah. And you know, there's, like, you learn important things, like, t- there's 28 grams in an ounce. And... <laughs> <laughs> you learned a lot. <laughs> yeah. Two fingers is like 50 bucks. (laughs) Important things. Important things to know. So anyway, what did we do in San Diego? Uh, San Diego, I became a chef. How did that happen? Um, I needed a job. The last couple years before then, I had been an electrician. Um, After school, kind of, I got into that. And that was really good, but then once I got to California, I needed to have, like, some specific certifications, and it was going to be really hard to do, like, a couple years of school or something for stuff I already knew. So I just kind of got a job working in a kitchen, like, the lowest level job, just, like, prep cook. And, yeah, I loved it. I knew you would love it. Uh, Yeah, this was, so this was, what, 2012 or something? Yeah, 2012. And I had been, like, serving and bartending and working in restaurants okay, ever like, since college. These are where your people hang out. And I knew that Zach would like it. I knew he wasn't cut out for, like, the front of the house because he's a little bit of a scrub. But I knew for some reason that he would like working in the kitchen. He has that, like, unique breed of insanity. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, this is when I was reading, like, a lot of, you know, reading Jack Kerouac and... Um, Ken Kesey and uh, Anthony Bourdain, like any of these heroes, like every one of my heroes was a drunk and a drug addict, basically. And really talented writers. And really talented. <laughs> yeah, Hunter Thompson, all these people that every, uh, it seemed very popular at that time just because that was like the people I was hanging out with were really into that. Um... I mean, the restaurant industry really supports a lifestyle with lots of partying as well, just because yeah. it seems like everyone's doing it. So like, you work really hard for a lo- uh, all day, and then you get off work, you have a beer or two, and then like 
you go out somewhere and have some more beers and then you wake up and you're hungover and you go to work and you brag about how much beer you drank last night and and how bad your head hurts and it's like a badge of honor like yeah I'm a man I'm a man I'm a cook I cook and I'm hungover <laughs> and yeah it sucks but I'm awesome it doesn't really make sense when you talk about it but in the moment you sound kind of like a, or you feel kind of like a king yeah, and I mean, you moved up, like, really quickly in the restaurant industry to have this job where you had you had to do, like, all these wine tastings as part of your job and everything. Yeah, that was after just a year or so. I was, like, helping make menus and things, and then after two years, I was sous chef, and then after, it's like... A little while after that, I got in food truck industry, and then, and uh, I ended up I ended up starting my own food truck, which was a really great experience. Was it though? <laughs> yeah, this whole starting it, and it was good. Mm-hmm. Learned a lot about life again. Sometimes you learn more from screwing up than you do from succeeding oh yeah i think always because <laughs> if you succeed the first time you just know like oh i did it right i already knew and if I'm you so screw cool. something up then you like have to learn a new way right that was yeah in the food truck everything like the food side went really well we we're making tons of money everybody loved my food it's just like the I how I managed like my business partner and how all that all fell apart was really sad. But you know that's another story for another day. I think. Yeah. But I mean, like back up though before we before we get to the end of the food truck. Like, I mean, there was. All the shit that went down to cause me to get sober. Yeah, so about halfway through my food trucking experience, Carrie's having, like, big breakdowns. I'm, like, hitting it really hard at that time because, like, I'm probably not, like, very aligned with my life purpose being just, like, a dirty food truck guy. Like, my food truck is really nice compared to all the other food trucks, but the lifestyle is just terrible. Like, I, if I couldn't take days off, like I was working all day, every day. Like when I got home, I had to think about what I was going to cook the next day because I just created like this really intense situation for myself. And then with Carrie also like struggling really hard with her addictions. Well, I was like, I was super addicted to a lot of things at that time. But I think I was kind of just barely keeping every, my life together, and it was just, like, waiting to explode. Right. And then my life exploded. Right. And I got sober. And that was, like, a big, like, brakes on the machine, I think. Everything came screeching to a halt. Screeching to a halt. And it's like, at that point, I think, like, there's twinges in my own brain about, like, do I have problems? And, like, I was having some 
some really terrible nights. Like, Carrie had, like, this list of, like, Zach's big nights <laughs> that every time I would get, after one of, I would get too drunk or something, and then I'd have to hear all about all my worst nights, and I was like, it was hard. So then, like, the list got longer and longer of Zach's big nights, and... You just didn't want to hear it, didn't think you had a problem. I would try to moderate or something, like, you know, there's this list in the Alcoholics Anonymous book, it's like, I tried drinking just beer, and I uh, I tried uh, drinking only in social situations or not by myself, I tried, like, I tried all that stuff, but, um... You were also pretty into, like, whatever other drugs you had at this time also. Yeah, mostly, like, mushrooms and those type of things. Mostly, a lot of mushrooms in the freezer. That's what I remember most of. Those nights would get super sloppy. Because it's like I wasn't using... These are, like, powerful types of plants that can be used for great amounts of medicine and healing and I was just taking them to get stoned and not like honoring them Mm -mm. so like when you don't honor powerful medicines like they will destroy you and then cocaine is not a plant at all and you also enjoyed that sometimes yeah but that wasn't very often right I was not into it I mean, I liked it. But when you got drunk, if someone had it, you would never say no. No, of course not. Whoever said no. <laughs> I mean, neither would I. I was the same way towards the end. Like, and it, it I was would just, take whatever. That stuff was just all over San Diego, like, when we left. Mm-hmm. It was, like, coming in from somewhere, but it got, like, super cheap. Everybody had it. Like, all of our friends were having it at one point, and I was just, like, I was hard to not have it yourself. Well, I think it was, like, our age group. Like, we were getting older, like, late 20s, and you just, your energy winds down, and if you want to keep partying in the same way, Mm -hmm. then you kind of, like, need it. But then again, like, all those people, like, after they were hitting it hard like that for a year or so, like, they got old fast. Yeah. Like, I could see it in their faces. Mm Mm-hmm. It's, like, that fast-moving lifestyle, like... Yeah. I... I'm just glad that I didn't get stuck into that cycle. That would be hard to get out of. Well, I know like a lot of self-proclaiming alcoholics will say, thank God I found cocaine because that's what made me eventually quit everything. Because it's just unsustainable. It's super unsustainable. I mean, so is like drinking the way we were drinking. That, I mean, cocaine is weird weird drug it's like of all of it if i'm gonna have like i i don't even know if i've ever like paid for it or but or ever had like my own baggie no but it's like if i'm gonna have a dream where there's drugs in the dream that's gonna be what's in the dream Mm. it's weird yeah It's, it's just like like that's like what drug addicts have dreams about, just mountains of cocaine on your table. Yeah, that's, that's like, weird. That's, that's like, like your dream. 
That's like what every drug addict. I don't think dream. you've ever told me that. <laughs> I mean, I've had dreams sort of like that, but I'm like, I don't have dream dreams like, oh, there's a bottle of whiskey in my dream. I'm gonna drink it. No, that's <laughs> like, I did. Okay, I feel like we're getting off track, but anyway, so San Diego restaurant industry. It's all about the craft beer and the fancy wine and the food and the day drinking and the drinking on the beach and yeah. like everyone's all about like drinking after work and then you can come to work hungover and it's a badge of honor and blah 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 and like I got sober and like our whole relationship changed. Yeah, so it was at first, like, I just thought Carrie would, like, she'd take a break and come back to it. But then she would, took breaks and then came back to it, came back to it just as hard. And, like, it was, every time it was getting harder and harder. And then when she actually did quit and I realized, oh, she's serious this time. And, like, I think I was very resentful and I didn't know, like, what my life was going to be like. Because I had no plans on stopping anything. Like, I was Zach. I was the party guy. This was, like, my identity, my ego. This was who I was. It's like, I'm going to, like, change my whole personality, whole everything about me. I'm like, I'd never really, like, met a sober person. <laughs> it's like oh, this leprechaun. Right. <laughs> it's like, what What do they do? They go to church, and, like, the only sober people I ever knew were in church. And, like, I wasn't always, they didn't always interest me. Right. So I uh, resisted it pretty hard. I wasn't, like, for the record, I was not, like, trying to change you all the time. Like, I definitely thought that you had a problem because it seemed like after I quit, like, just by virtue of the fact that you didn't have to, like, worry about me or take care of me anymore, like, you kind of escalated really quick. Yeah. That was... Yeah, I don't, I don't know. This is a hard part to talk about because it's kind of blurry. Understandable. In my brain. We had a lot of fights and because, like, there were times when you would have a bad night and be hungover the next day and be, like, super regretful. And then I would, like, see it as my opportunity to try and change you and convince you to quit. And you would, like, sometimes promise that you would or sometimes you would even, like say you were going to go to a meeting with me or like read the big book or something but then like you, once you felt better you would be like no yeah it's i mean i just hated the whole idea and like sobriety and i don't know it was just i think i did think that you were kind of forcing it down my throat at the time and I like I don't know I tried to uh, I made a deal remember one time I made a deal with Carrie that I would like talk to somebody about being a sponsor and just see what they thought about it and I remember just like about to have this meeting with this guy and I was like Oh, this guy's got to say is that I'm not an alcoholic and then I'm off the hook, <laughs> you know? So we talked for like two hours and he, of course, told me like, I don't think you're an alcoholic, which is like probably what I tried to convince him in my subconscious. 
Like, of course, I'm not going to be, like, going there like, oh, I just uh, can't stop drinking. No, I just, like, ah, tell him all the best parts. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, it was probably super manipulative. I don't really remember. It's probably high. I was disappointing. (laughs) Well, it was hard for me, too, obviously, because our whole relationship was founded on drinking together. Yeah. And, like, I knew that I was the one who had changed. So I just, honestly, I didn't know if we were going to make it. And a lot of my friends were, like, telling me things, you know, trying to have my best interest at heart. But, like... It's hard to, it's, you can't, like, understand how hard it is unless you're in that situation. So I know, like, certain friends of mine who, like, weren't married, you know, were telling me that I should, like, just give up. And, like, so I would get really angry and, like, be listening to all their opinions and, like, I just, but I just couldn't follow through with it. I, like, knew that you had so much potential to, like, change and that we could fix everything. I, and I just like never got to that point of like really finally deciding to quit. Yeah. Thank you for that. I don't know how you dealt with it. It was hard. But I think you had like this kind of, you, you were becoming like very clairvoyant mm-hmm. without drinking and you could see something in the future that I couldn't see. I did. I had, like, messages come to me that told me not to give up on you. And mm. so I listened to them as mm. hard as it was. I mean, you struggled with this for years. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe, like, a year and a half or a little bit, two years, maybe. You were, like, putting up with me, going back and forth and back and forth. and Right, because by this point, you were, like, after a little while, you would do things where you would, like, try to quit on your own or try to take breaks right and then so we did what every responsible we might be getting divorced soon couple would do we moved to asia (laughs) together (laughs) Uh, that was after the therapist told us that we needed to get a divorce yeah didn't like her nope you hated her Yeah, so yeah, we moved to Asia. We're like So if if you're if you're not married yet and you're like struggling with this much in your life, it, it, you're like, "Ah, oh, let's get married. It'll fix everything," right? <laughs> so when you're already married, you're like, "Let's move to a foreign country. It'll fix everything." Right? <laughs> News flash. Nope. No. Nope. <laughs> so I mean, we'd spent a lot of time out of the states before this, so this was like it's easy for us to transition to living somewhere else. But just because you move yourself doesn't mean you change yourself. Well, I mean, like, it wasn't like things were all bad all the time, like, and then we moved to Asia. There were times when, like, I really thought that you were getting your shit together. Like, we had a six-week road trip, like, through the States, and we just did a ton of national parks and stuff before we moved to Asia, And it was just us for most of that time and you weren't drinking and we were like super close again. Mm -hmm. So times like that would just like give me all this hope. That's because I didn't need to drink. Yeah. And like I could see that. I just had no, uh, I don't know. I needed like this release or whatever. I had like all kind of stuff 
bottled up inside of me. Like I never learned how to process my feelings in a healthy way. It's like as soon as I was like became an adult, I would just use like alcohol to put them away or some other like not so good coping mechanism. Yeah. So it was like when I started having to like see my feelings and deal with them and like deal with myself and like realize that maybe I'm not like this like the best person that I thought I could be or thought that I was. And yeah, I mean, I think at this point there was like I was in this started getting into this cycle of reverberations like I would be there was a big part of me that was like connection with my higher self like seeing the path that I I knew I could go and I knew there would be a better life and then there was this like old self like my ego that was just like would not let go and every time I would stop drinking like I think this new me would get stronger and then, like, maybe I'd go back to drinking for a little bit and, you know, like, a week until I screwed up everything again. <laughs> and then, like, you'd go back to this this new self was like, getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And, I mean, this took a long time, but it's like I didn't really have that big, like, rock bottom. I had a lot of big rock bottoms but not like that one that was bigger than the rest that made me stop everything it was just like every time it got easier and easier to not go back it's like it sounds so exhausting though like listening to it now it it's like 10 steps forward nine like steps nine back. steps back <laughs> like every time and it was yeah it was like Oh, I just knew that you, like, were close to getting it, but you were close to getting it for, like, a year. I would get it. I would feel great. I'd love it. But then I would just be, like, I would just wasn't, like, replacing the drugs and alcohol with, like, positive things. I was just trying to live the same life that I was living, but without that. Mm Mm-hmm. And, like, you just need to fill up the holes. You just can't rip something out of you and then leave that gaping hole in there. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Once I started, like, stuffing, like, spirituality and, like, positive influences in there, that's when it, like, really started to work. So when was that? How did that happen? Um... When did that happen? I don't know. I think sometime in Sri Lanka. Because Sri Lanka is like a good place to find your true self, and parties there are not that good, anyways. Like, I've listened to some good parties in Sri Lanka, but that's not the best reason to go there. But I don't, I don't know. It's like, I'd have, what, I'm just losing my track. I'm getting tired. You had a, 
you had a big kind of quasi rock bottom night in Thailand right before we went back to Sri Lanka. Oh, night. Yeah. Yeah. And after that is when you like first started talking to someone other than me about it. Right. And that, that helped, like having a friend to talk to who was in the program and I've just been so against the program in general and then like I started talking and I agreed that like I probably did have a problem and that like when I got back to the States like uh, not too long after that I would try to get a sponsor and and, and that was that was good as I was able to stay off it I mean that I think that was like my big rock bottom like I might have not stayed completely sober after that the whole time but like I wouldn't wasn't drinking anymore after that Mm -hmm. and it was not a lot of fun stopping but I like I didn't have like since I had been slowing down for so long, I never had, like, I didn't have, like, this big withdrawal syndromes or, like, it was pretty easy. Like, almost too easy because, like, I was able to get um, seven months sober without, like, much support. Yeah. Which was, honestly, it's a recipe for disaster. Well, it was just, like, so hard for me to understand the way you did it because the way I did it was, like, I came crashing down to earth and, like, had this big screeching halt of a shit show night with my drinking to be, like, okay, I know I have to be done forever. And I was, like, withdrawing for, like, two weeks and it was terrible and I had, like, post-acute withdrawal syndrome you know the whole works like I definitely should have gone to detox but for you you were just kind of like one foot in one foot out for so long and like some of your last times drinking were not even like they would not even be like considered out of control but it was just like I could see the change in you And it was, like, the dishonesty also. Yeah, it's like I couldn't do anything without lying about it because I knew there would be something shady about it or something. You were just, like, setting yourself up for bad times because you would, like, tell me and tell even other people at this point that you knew you had a problem and you knew you shouldn't drink. So then when you decided to do it, it would be, like even one beer like you can't feel good about that because you know you shouldn't be doing it and you're gonna lie about it Mm. yep yep sounds really unenjoyable Mm -hmm. but should we talk about now yeah let's talk about the solution oh the solution i mean aa works it's a good program i mean i'm not trying to say it's the perfect program or that i always enjoy it but it does work so what made you finally accept that? I mean, it's just, uh, I did a lot of trial and error. Like I said in the beginning, like I tried every other option that everyone said wouldn't work and none of them did work. <laughs> and I just concluded that like, this is the really like 
the only option that's available that, like I could probably afford was the free option mm-hmm. and yeah cause, I mean you had you did do seven months like without hardly mm-hmm. going to meetings hardly having a sponsor yeah so but now like having a sponsor and going to meetings it's like I'm starting to feel like I'm part of the community. I'm making friends that are sober. And, like, my spiritual connection is off the hooks. Um, I'm, like, seeing things with, like, meditation and stuff that, like, are more powerful than any of my drinking and drug experiences. And... I mean, I I don't see myself going back at this point. This is like, I just like, I think my body's at the best I've felt since I was a child. And I feel way better than that. Because like, I know a lot about diet and nutrition and how like the stuff I'm feeding myself is just fueling my, just, I'm just, I've, I'm, I feel amazing, like, but that doesn't, I mean, that's not going to keep me from going back out there. Right. How do you plan on not going back out there? Just keep working system. Mm-hmm. One day at a time. Yeah, one day at a time. I mean, I don't even think that way anymore, like... I don't like to think like, oh, I, like in fifty years I'm still gonna be sober. Oh no, like I I maybe think about like oh, I just get through like this month or something. Or mm-hmm. I don't need to think one day. I don't wake up in the morning thinking about drinking. Because you finally replaced it. Yeah, I mean I haven't thought about drinking honestly in a long time. Like I've had situations where I could have and no one would have known. Which, like. Now, if I find situations like that, I just tell somebody about it. Just, like, telling on myself before I do it has, like, saved me so many times. Mm-hmm. It's, like, my go-to. Right. Just, if you find a box of booze, you're like, hey, I found a box of booze. I'm going to not drink all of it. Because if I do, you're going to know I did it. Yep. Someone will always find out. They will always find out. If you tell on yourself. Sucks to be before, a liar. Before, I would have left that hidden stuff for a rainy day. Mm-hmm. Or like, well, I'm like, wow, that's a lot of booze. I'm like, oh, maybe in a year I won't be drinking anymore. I won't be not drinking and I can come back here and drink all that free booze. That's healthy to think about. That's what I used to do. Right. But now I'm like, huh? So the program is working. Yeah. I'm super proud of you and I knew you could do it. Yeah, it's working. I feel good. Like, I feel super connected to the earth and, like, it's higher consciousness. Whatever kind of God exists definitely exists. What about other people? How has doing this, like, changed your relationships? I mean, I'm much better at relationships now. Like, I used to not really communicate with very many people. I'm still not, like, a social butterfly. I don't, like, 
tell people happy birthday on Facebook. <laughs> You're just an introvert. Yeah. But I have, like, made a few sober friends recently that I enjoy. I mean, I think in general I can see that I do like people that are sober. Maybe it's people that have have tried it and... I don't know if I enjoy people who are never tried it. I don't know what I'm trying to say. You mean that people who have, like, people who are in recovery from substance use are the best people and they're more interesting and cooler people than people who just never had a problem? Yeah, well, I think they know more about themselves. And I like, agree, one hundred percent. Farther along the spiritual path, because you've had this like you've had this thing that's come and tried to destroy you, and you fought back and and you won. Mm-hmm. And like the yes. average person doesn't have this story. They're just like cruising along in their boring ass life. <laughs> and like you didn't have something come and try to kill you, and you fought against it and defeated it. Like. Go like, and then you, yeah. I mean, and then like everybody in the program that had like been through therapy. This is like it's like therapy. Like so many people don't even go through therapy in their life. Like every single person needs therapy. Yeah, it's not something for crazy people. It's like you were saying, just like never learning how to process emotions. Mm-hmm. Like the program teaches you that. Right, and. I don't know, it's just like taking a look at yourself and like an honest look at yourself. Or nobody does that. And like we're just we're trained to that that's bad. Like if you have problems and you're a man, you just stuff those down. And like drink a beer and get over it. That could be a whole another episode too. Toxic masculinity. Toxic masculinity, yeah. Well, I mean, we're moving into, like, men have been in charge for a millennia or more, and, like, I think we're moving into the the more beautiful part of time when maybe men aren't in, in charge anymore. Yeah. Shakti um, power. Shakti. I mean, some guys are okay, but in general, like, I don't really like them very much. Yuck. Well... We should probably wrap this up, but I always knew you could do it. Thanks. And I'm super proud of you. And also, if you can do it, then that's proof that anyone can do it. Because <laughs> you were really stubborn for a long time. I know. Yeah, but anybody can do it. And, like, I thought that, like, being sober was going to be so boring and I didn't know how I would, like, you know, get my kicks. I need my kicks. Yeah. What do you, so, how do you get your kicks nowadays? 66. Yeah, literally. <laughs> yeah. That's where we live. Yeah, but, um, no, I get more kicks now than I ever got when I'm drinking. I don't have a headache in the morning. Yeah, me too. I feel great. Like, I just, like, so so connected with like this energy in the world and it's like I know that there's a reason for it all and it's made me stronger 
So I beat that dragon. Yes. Well, keep coming back, as they say. Works if you work it. <laughs> and you're worth it. But just a disclaimer, we know that AA is not the only way. It just was for us. It works. But, yeah, come back. This is a bigger life adventures, and we're just, like, getting ready for our big retreat coming up. Yeah. Joshua Tree coming up in just over two weeks. Hopefully we'll get this podcast out before that starts. Yep. And it's sold out, so we're super pumped about that. And after Joshua Tree and then June coming, that's going to come up so soon. We have our Big Bear Summer Soul Shine. It's going to be all about like healing. Yeah, yoga for recovery, meditation for recovery, nutrition, Ayurveda, breath work, sound healing, so much good stuff. Yeah, and we've been, like like I said, Joshua Tree sold out, like Big Bear is like about halfway sold out already. So we're already planning like the next retreats, like, and it's like, it's rolling now. It's all happening. It's took a, it was like a, this huge boulder that took so many people to get pushing in the right direction, but now it's rolling and like we're no gonna, stopping us. We're changing things. We're changing the world, baby. Yeah, you know it only takes a little bit. I mean, you only got to everybody's trying to change everybody, but really it's like everybody says it, but it's true. You take you change yourself, and you just watch how that reverberates through the world. Totally. And, like, it's powerful. And once, like, changing yourself is the hardest thing you can do. Mm-hmm. And, like, the one quote that really got me when I needed to, I couldn't think of any reason to stop drinking, but there's this quote that was, like, I was always started drinking because I wanted to be a rebel and I wanted to do something different than I was told I was supposed to. And then I saw this quote that was like, the most rebellious act you can do is not drinking. And it was so true. And that's like, I'm just sitting here drinking because I think I'm like a hard ass or something. And really I'm just supporting all of the giving all of my money away to all the people that I dislike so much. Who are poisoning you. Poisoning me and poisoning the world. So no more. Right. Taking the power back. Yes. It is a rebellious act not to drink. Yes. I love it. And we don't have to have a bloody revolution to change the world. Right. And we don't have to do it like peace and love like the hippies neither. But we will be doing a lot of peace and love. I believe in peace and love. <laughs> yeah. I think you just have to spread peace and love to yourself first mm-hmm. before you can expect anyone else to get it. You make a peace and love sandwich and try to shove it down somebody's throat, they're not going to want it. <laughs> <laughs> that was the best quote of the episode. <laughs> they're not. Do you want a peace and love sandwich shoved down your throat? I don't. Oh. Especially not if it has meat in it. I'll eat it if you if you like if you eat it first and you have I can tell how happy you are eating it. <laughs> then maybe I'm gonna come and I'll like be like, hey, you got enough half of that for me. <laughs> <laughs> oh 
Okay, it's true, but I think we should wrap it up now. Yep. That was a great note to end on. Thanks for listening. Uh, Instagram, at Bigger Life Adventures. We do recovery, yoga retreats, and all kind of stuff, yoga and wellness related. We're yes. about, we're changing the world. So come join. And come travel with us. Do whatever. Come hang out. Explore your bigger life. All right. Peace. Namaste. Namaste.